This is Daniel Fagella, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. This is the fourth out of five episodes of our Achieving ROI with Early AI Projects series. We have published one episode per day all week. We kicked things off with the head of the AI Center of Excellence for Intel. Uh, We've had some great high-level leaders at big enterprises, and today we're bringing it down to more of a consultancy and vendor perspective from someone who has worked with some of the largest enterprises in the world. Dr. Charles Martin has been on the program in the past. He is a Silicon Valley AI consultant. He's been doing machine learning in the enterprise since way before it was cool with organizations like eBay and BlackRock and more. And when I asked him how enterprise leaders could help get a better return on investment from their first AI projects to really make sure that they had the best measurable results from early projects, he went immediately to data. Not in terms of fancy technical terms that nobody who doesn't write code will understand, but in terms of a conceptual understanding of what kind of data we have. He talks about the concept of data quality mismatch. This is a fantastic diagnostic tool for taking a look at what kind of data we have and having a strong estimate as to what kinds of tasks will it be good for in terms of training algorithms and what kind of tasks will it be very much not good for. This idea of a mismatch is something that a lot of enterprises get wrong, and Charles puts it really succinctly and clearly. So in terms of bypassing some of the biggest hurdles to achieving ROI, and in terms of picking projects where you actually have the data assets to achieve ROI, this is an awesome episode to tune into. So I'm really grateful to have Charles with us on this episode. Without further ado, let's fly right in. This is Dr. Charles Martin here on the AI in Business podcast. So Dr. Charles, welcome back to the show. Hey, Daniel, thanks for having me. Glad to have you with us, man. And today we're in our series around achieving ROI with early AI projects. So many enterprise leaders now kind of crossing that chasm. They've got projects in mind. They want to drive them through to success. Uh, What advice do we give them that's going to actually help them see that success happen? When we were talking off mic, you had two issues. I really want to talk about both of them. And the first one was around thinking from the beginning about building something end to end. Um, Talk a little bit about what this insight is and how folks should apply it. So I I think in any large organization, there are a lot of IT processes going on. How How do you get data out of the system? How do you put a product into production? How are you going to measure it, test it, evaluate it? These are all critical things because AI is software. It's a software system. And it's probably something a little different, maybe very different than the IT systems you have. So, for example, if you're working in a hospital and you want to build some system that can, you know, make predictions about ICU admissions, how are you going to get the data? Is is, Is it in Epic? Is it in your EHR system? Is it in Tabulo or people, you know, you, you have to think about that because that could be a massive barrier. There's no way to get to it. Maybe there's a compliance issue. So you have to really understand where your data is coming from. And then you have to ask, how do I put this thing into production? Um, and, and you want to avoid as much as you can getting stuck in the trap of letting the IT department dictate everything because they they have optimized their processes for things that they've already built maybe 10 years ago. And if you try to put some new piece of software into that pipeline, they're going to have all these challenges they want you to, to, all these things, all these, all these little nooks and crannies that you have to fill. And you're just not going to be able to do it. You have to, you have to be able to figure out what is the minimal viable product that I can get into production, even if you have to maintain it by hand. Every day, log in and you, you type, you run a script. So what? You know, I mean, people run factories by hand. You do that until you get the thing running in production 
so you can test it and show that it works and get yourself a win. And, and I think you will see when you do this, You'll see all the different components of the pipeline, how the database systems work, how the compliance systems work, how the deployment systems work, how the testing works. You'll see the whole pipeline and you really understand what can and can't be done. Got it. So there's a few things that kind of jumped out here. One is around just making sure can we even access the data uh, from the get-go. The second is thinking about what it looks like um, to actually run this, but not worrying about automating everything on the first go. Like you said, and like you've mentioned actually years ago on the show, AI is not IT. Going in as if we're going to hard code this thing and it's going to be great off the bat is absolutely the opposite of AI. There's going to need to be room for iteration. So you're putting this strong emphasis on not applying too much of that IT, you know, let's structure, automate, fit everything through the normal sausage maker kind of mentality. Um, if, if I'm a business leader and maybe I, I don't write Python, but I am thinking about, uh, you know, uh, putting this insight in action, what should I consider? Should I consider maybe talking to my data scientists and my subject matter experts about what it would look like to get this end to end for a first go? Should I kind of set an initial intention to let everybody know, hey, we're not going to hard code and, and uh, you know, freeze this thing right off the get go? How, how can we put this idea in action? I think you need to have people in the organization who know how to build things. And, and one of the challenges is with a lot of data scientists now, if you hire a young data scientist, they may be able to build you models, but they have no idea how to put them in production. So you need to have production engineers who understand how the systems work. And you need to have people who have a mentality of being flexible. Um, you know, and that, and that is, uh, you know, you, you don't want barriers. People are going to put barriers up just to keep you from doing things. Uh, unfortunately, that's that's reality. They do it intentionally. They do it unintentionally. The barriers are just there. A lot of things exist that people just go through the motions. We do things like this because this is how we do it. And whether it makes sense in this environment, it, it doesn't matter to them. This is how we do it. So you need to have someone who understands, someone in the organization who understands how things work, who understands who knows what, you know, knowing who knows what. Like if you have to get access to a database and you need to know what's in the database table. You need to know who to ask because somebody's, somebody's in charge of that, and they have to be willing to interact with you and, and tell you. And so finding those people is, are critical, finding the doers. You know, you've got to find some doers. Yeah, so to get off the bat, uh, to, to, to get a project that's actually going to land its way into – uh, production have a chance of achieving that early ROI because everybody, Charles, you know, when they jump in, I think our listeners certainly realize this is not going to be a plug and play thing. We're not we're not using Mailchimp here. We're building. We're experimenting. There's going to be some iteration. This is, stuff is not easy. Um, it, it, in terms of those groups of doers, it feels like we need doers on the data science side. We need doers, maybe even on the subject matter expertise side, who can show us, okay, how is this stuff stored? What's the quality of this stuff? Who who are the types of doers we want to pull together to get this rounded perspective um that well, that you're looking for so look if you're the first it's all all ai starts in the data stream so you have to understand how did the data get into the database and what is it so you have to know who put it there who's the person who logged it who's the person responsible for maintaining it who who is the one who validates it you know, you you may find out that the data in your database is not at all what you think it is so you have to have someone who who, who actually can go inside there and understands what it is and can look at it and can get at it and can pull it out. Then you need to have people understand how are things actually put into production? What are the processes we use? What are the requirements we have? 
Um, do we have a system in place that is automated already, or am I going to have to build something from scratch? And if we build it from scratch, it's not that hard to build an AI. I mean, it's not that complicated to build an AI system from scratch and deploy it, but you have to be have the ability to do that. Um, you want to try to minimize your impact with the IT environment, so you're not you're not constrained by funny things that they have, and and that's challenging. Funny things I, they have, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I worked in a case where in order to put a product into production, the logging had to be sent to standard output. I'm like, that's curious. Like, because when you run a Jupyter Notebook, the Jupyter Notebook is the log file. And so we had this bizarre problem, like, well, should I just cat the thing? I mean, like, like we just couldn't get the logging work. It yeah. was just and it was just like, it's because... They had never imagined, you know, when they built this thing five years ago, there'd be some new technology, which was just so different from what they're used to. Yeah. And it didn't really matter. I mean, who cares where the logs are? You know, you stuff them. In. But it's it's so everything is so optimized. Byzantine. It, yeah. It becomes brittle because the yep. more you optimize something, the more you in the machine learning language, the more you've overtrained it, you yep. overfit it to the process yep. you're on. And yep. now it cannot generalize to something new. Yeah. And so you have to try to avoid those kinds of problems. Eventually you'll have to solve them. Eventually the IT folks will do it. But if you if you get bogged down on all that stuff up front, Early I'll on, give you yeah. another example. Sure. I, I have clients where I work with, I can't act that we don't have a dev account to access the database. That's like that so I have to use my personal account. Okay. Well, that's a funny thing because I have to go in and you know I, I you have to change your personal password all the time and you know your password may not may have to store it in a flat file which may not be secure so there there are a lot of like weird things but they can't provision me you know like they can't deploy and it, like the whole barrier is like how do we get a dev account to access the database I mean things that are just like simple operational things which become yeah which become huge barriers because they're so integrated into how the production system works that you can't change anything yeah, I mean, yeah. in well, some sense that's what production systems are they're meant to be they're meant to be so stable <laughs> that you can't change anything yeah so they I, defeat I, themselves quick closing note on that because i think that's so important you know we we've got a number of articles that touch on the idea of kind of uh, working around IT and then working with them when it actually makes sense. And, and you're yes. addressing the first part of that right now. You're talking about initially work around them. In other words, don't get stuck in those quagmires. And now, of course, you know, we're not advocating here for listeners that, you know, you're like going against the interests of IT. It's just, look, don't get stuck in their ossified process when you're trying to do something nimble. Charles, how can we do that? In other words, what best practices should we bear in mind to say, hey, how can we get the initial iteration done without intersecting with well, IT too much? Like, what one, do we need to, to things, think about? Uh, one of the things I try to do is say, here's how I'm going to run the project. If I come with a client, I want you to give me the biggest machine you can on your cloud. Is it Azure, Google, GCP, Amazon, whatever it is, you give me the biggest multi-core machine you have so I can work by – I can just kind of work in an isolated way and make sure that machine has ac access to the network resources. We're going to deploy the model on in your environment as a Flask API you know, or, or Fast API, just some simple API which can be deployed as simply as possible. So let's figure out who does those deployments and what are all the requirements they need for that deployment. And then I want to separate the back-end training of the model 
from its deployment and inference. I don't want to automate the training of the model because that's very complicated. I may have to go in and change things by hand. I don't want the IT guys involved in that because that's if once they get involved in trying to automate the training from first step, it's going to just get bogged down. The inference side, like what goes into the production environment, what are the requirements on it, and you need to have someone on the team who can do those deployments. And then you have to figure out how do you pass data from one to the other. Usually like you stick in an AWS bucket or something. So you have to figure out the security protocols of how you're going to move data from this model that you built to this inference code that you're running. And, and you may find nowadays there are all these different ML ops systems and there are 10 different ML ops. I mean, ML, they're like 10 different ML, maybe 100 There's a ton of ML them. There's a ton of them. We've and, had them all and, on the show. And, you know, that if you get too bogged down in that, you know, you're, you're going to spend all your time doing that. You don't want to spend all of your time building an ML ops system. You know, if you can, if they, if they, if it's good for you and it's easy and you can support it, great. If you start finding out that all of your work is learning the ML ops system, Get rid of it. Just build it from scratch and then do the bare minimum. Then try to figure out how to fit it in. Because otherwise, you're going to spend all of your time dealing with Kubernetes or Heroku or this or that, and you're never getting anything done. And that will suck. And, 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 and remember, most of your time is going to be spent trying to figure out the data anyway. Yep. So that in itself is going to chew up so much time that if you get bogged down in these other things, and I think that's where you have to break the, you have to break the system into components figure out what is the minimal viable component you need to get something into production that they can manage that is stable that meets and you might have an sla requirement there might be logging requirements you know make sure that's all stable and because the model you don't want the model predictions i mean the model predictions are going to be wrong on your first pass right you're going to build a model it's going to make incorrect predictions you don't want the whole system to fall down because you made a mistake in the predictions that's that's way too you know you're not tesla you know, you're not trying to build a self-driving car from day one. You want to have models that are that the that you can absorb errors in the predictions. So when you put something into production, it's not going to break anything. If it doesn't work, it's not a big. If it fails, it's not a big deal. You can try yep. it again, and that you can move nimbly. You can change things quickly. Yeah, selecting projects that, uh, it, you know, we we talk sometimes, Charles, about. Um, if I'm a bank and I want to improve my customer experience, I have the opportunity to try to automate banking customer experience questions, which, you know, three, four years ago, everybody thought that they could do. Or I have the opportunity to route my support tickets to somebody who can answer them very quickly and competently. The latter case, even if they get routed to kind of the wrong person, maybe they need one more touch and then they're still going to be handled hopefully quite well. That was, that was it, the first product I ever worked on eBay was routing. Yeah, right. I mean, it's like the the consequences aren't the end of the world, right? But if we're automatically replying to people with the wrong answers, now the consequences are the end. So what you're saying is take something where you can actually have that buffer for error because that's AI. That's the that's that's what we're we're dealing with here. And you're you're saying basically select projects for that. Absolutely. If if you're trying to build a man critical system, you should know that. You know, you 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 can't. You know, you have to. You realize it's going to make. You have to have that buffer. Especially in a new project, you have to be able, and you have to be able to pick projects where you can move, you can move models in and out. You can try a few different things until it's right. Yeah. Because yeah. not only will the model be wrong, the data is probably wrong. So you realize that you're going to stick data in the model. Data is probably wrong anyway, and you're going to have to figure out what happened. You know, once you get the thing working in production, you got to figure out okay, what was wrong about the data that I didn't realize. 
Yeah. And so you've got to you've got to have some flexibility there. Got it. Okay, cool. So some some strong advice around questions to ask and directions to head in uh, as we get started with a project and also select a project. The other topic that you mentioned off mic here was around um, data quality mismatch and kind data of bearing mismatch. Yeah, go ahead and describe this a little bit for folks and kind of how it can tie to achieving ROI with with these early projects. Yeah, this is a term that I I, I coined. Um, actually, I thought of been working with some friends in the healthcare industry, and I, okay. I came to realize that probably the biggest problem I see in AI, machine learning, data science projects is that there's a disconnect between the data that you have and what you think it can do. And the reason for this is because any data that you have in an organization already, whether it's billing data, EHR data, customer you know, data, whatever you have, that data was built for to serve a specific purpose and to, to, to behind a specific product. Billing data, I usually say, is probably some of your most accurate data because if the billing is wrong, you're going to have a thousand customers every day calling you up, yelling at you. So yep. chances are you've every whoever built the billing system has looked at that thing so carefully and debugged it so carefully that the data is exactly what you think it is. But if you try to take billing data and use it for anything else other than billing, like building some kind of product recommender. Chances are the data's full of bugs, full of holes, full of errors, full of nulls, all sorts of problems. Problems that don't affect the billing, but would break the recommender totally. Yeah. And an example would be you could bill someone for something and you could actually have the title of the product incorrect on the bill as long as they pay it. Oh, if it's an automated system and they're paying it, well, okay. You know, you 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 might get the date that they purchased it wrong, or you might, you know, there are all sorts of things that can be wrong on a billing statement, and people will still pay. Or there may be there may be in particular probably more likely is metadata. There's all sorts of metadata that's wrong in the bill, and so and. Uh, that's true everywhere in every system I've seen. This is what happens. And so huh. people, they build a system to do something. And then they want it to – and so this is why. Because most enterprises are not starting from scratch. They're, they're not Tesla building a self-driving car. They're building cars and going out and collecting data to make a self-driving car. They're, they're starting with data they have. And they're thinking, you know, we collected all this data on our customers over the years. What can we do with it? And so you're usually starting with a product that's fairly simple and has low requirements and has low data quality constraints. And you're trying to do something new with it that has much more strict requirements and has much more strict constraints on the data. Yeah. Yeah. And so it breaks. Uh, now, the classic example, and, and it's everywhere. Every system is like this. Now, let me give you a really good example. I, I, I love this Go example. Keep, keep going, brother. So it's, the, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, keep going. The best example, like EHR data. <laughs> so we, I work, I have a friend who has a company, and what they're doing is they're labeling and cleaning up all the world's EHR data. Great stuff. Why? Okay. Uh, you know, EHR data, electronic health record data, you might yep. think if you're a doctor, you know, or a researcher, this EL, this EHR data, this is great data to do some sort of model to build a clinical model for prediction of disease or to predict you know, risk or something like this. But the EHR system is not really clinical data. That's not what it's used for. Even though they say it's clinical data, what is it used for? It's used for, for insurance reimbursements. 
that's what it's used. That's what the hospitals use the HR data for, for insurance reimbursement. So you can bet your life savings that the whatever data is in the HR system is going to is going to be good enough to make sure the hospital gets reimbursed. It's not going to be good enough to do medical diagnosis. You you may find that the nurse when they entered in a respiratory rate, well, they just kind of guessed because you're breathing, you're not you're not panting. You know, you're not dead. So they just guess because it doesn't matter. It's, eh, you know, yeah. Yeah, whatever. You might find that the data is entered two days late. Somebody entered in some of the data late because, oh, we enter in our data on Fridays. Every Friday we the data. You might find that users who are, who are released from the hospital, but the data shows they're still in the bed. I've looked at the HR data. So you have these problems that exist because – you're not using the EHR system to do clinical diagnosis. So there are all sorts of funny things yeah. that could be in it that you just would not affect the billing. This is – can I try to nutshell some of this, Charles? Because I'm picking sure, up please. a lot of what you're putting down. So I, I'm imagining myself in, in the, the seat of the listener as I am right now, the listener of you. Um, it, 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 this is a great way of nutshelling it. it. It almost sounds like – and if you have a better way of framing it, please let me know. It almost sounds like, hey – um, if you have data that's, you know, really critical and it's actually being used, um, the way it's being, it's, it, and then the business is up and running. In other words, it's using that data to, to actually run operations are running yes. in that, in that case, then the parts of it that are used to run the business in a real way probably are pretty right. However, if you start taking that data into another context, like you mentioned about billing, um, Sure, uh, you know, the financial amount that somebody was billed and the date, probably correct or people would be calling you day and night. But I don't, honestly, Charles, I don't care if you spell the product right. I don't care. I don't care what the SKU number is. I don't care about any of that. I just want to know, did you bill me for a software I'm actually paying for? And was it the amount that I want, right? If it's Google Suite, it's like, okay, whatever. Yeah, that's the amount. I don't really care. But what you're saying is there could be SKU numbers, product names, images, all kinds of other data associated with this quote unquote activity. And we might assume it's good because the actual like, uh, the, the amount of billing and, and the date data is good, but actually those are really the only parts we're relying on and we're leaning on and we should count on everything we're not relying and leaning on to basically be flubby because there's no real accountability. Nothing is actually leaning on it. This is the way I'm interpreting what exactly. you're saying. Exactly. Okay. It's good okay. enough for billing. So there aren't enough mistakes in it to make people call up and yell at you on a daily yeah. basis. But yeah. there are enough mistakes to break any machine learning or AI system you try to build. Yeah, this and is that's, and it's always and again it's because you're always taking data that was used for something simpler and trying to do it in a more comp, in a more complex product. And obviously if you're in a more complex product, then the quality constraints on the data have to be higher, which is why I call it data quality mismatch. You took yeah. low quality data and tried to put it into a, a, a product that needs high quality data, and there's no quality control. Yeah, yes, yes, no, yes, yes. Yep. That's why it's so critical to build things to get things into production as quickly as possible, so you can figure learn. out where you need. You learn where you need the quality control. Yeah, I, you know, this is great though because there's a bit of a diagnostic tool here. It's like, hey, Mister Enterprise Leader, when you're looking at your data, ask what parts of this data 
is backed up against a wall like with a bayonet on a regular basis. In other words, what parts of this data are actually being used and are, 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 are almost certainly correct or this business would not be operating? And then basically assume that the parts that are not that are, are not necessarily right at all. Like don't assume that the other parts are right. Again, about billing, count on the billing parts being right. About the, uh, the insurance reimbursement parts, yeah, count on like the fields being filled out and like the some some uh, uh, you know some whatever the basic like who the insurance payer is or whatever th- those things that actually need to happen for a reimbursement but any of the random patient stuff count on that not being held accountable because it's not only count on things being accountable when they are regularly hyper crucial and basically uh, plan on realizing exactly. how, plan. how quickly yeah plan exactly. on everything and, else being a real mess and if things don't work Nine out of ten times, something's wrong in the data. It's not the algorithm. It's not the machine learning. It's not – you didn't overtrain the system or anything. All these things clients complain. Now, there's something wrong with the data. You did something goofy with the data. I can give example after example of example of this with clients where, you know, just like – it took me a while to realize this is what's happening. You, you did – you collected the data wrong. You labeled it wrong. You made an assumption about something. That's why this is so ex- difficult to do because you need to be in the data looking at it all the time and testing it. Yeah, and, and, and so again, iteration is critical. We're not going to hard code this thing. We're really going to make sure we can test it. It seems like – you know when you mention people do some things goofy or they do it wrong, sometimes maybe, Charles, they just did it good enough. Right? Well, I need they didn't to fill do it out- wrong for the product that they built. It was yes, fine. Yes, exactly. For the product they built, it was like whatever, good enough. But now I, it's I, like I, that's – yeah, it's not going to transfer. I've, I've seen cases where – here's one that, that really – the new one I've seen. <laughs> all sorts. Okay. Someone built a website application and it logs things. But the website application doesn't maintain state properly. So you go into the log and like the transaction logs are correct because you're logging when you when you click purchase – that's correct. But everything else in the session objects, everything else is totally bananas. That's very common because people are building these React Native applications in, in JavaScript. And those things are – I mean I used to do front-end work. Those, I would touch JavaScript with a 10-foot pole. It's so hard to do. I mean those guys are expensive. You know, So you, you, you don't realize that unless you're checking everything you're logging. Who goes through their log files and checks that they're correct? Nobody does that. Yep. Yeah, they're just there. So yeah. this is the problem, and and I think that it's it it becomes ex- and you don't it becomes ex- as you build the product, as you build the models, and as you test them, and as you find out things aren't quite working the way you thought, then you begin to realize, okay, what assumptions did I make about the data that should be reflected in the model predictions, and that are not happening, and then you go back and look at the data and you go, oh, how did this get in there? Oh, what's that? And then you fix it if you can. Yeah. Yeah. And so, that's, okay. That's the process. So, so the, the key takeaway here as we wrap on this idea of data quality mismatch, hopefully all of our listeners have a better understanding of what to expect to be busted. If it's if something isn't leaning on it consistently for that particular part of the data and that reason, probably it's being done well enough and it ain't good enough to be consistent and train what you're trying to do. And so just buckle up for that. So that that's a great preamble. And I actually, I've never heard it put that densely. So I really like this concept. Um, it, it sounds like for folks who are looking to, again, achieve ROI with early AI projects, 
look at maybe the variety of the projects that you're assessing and ask yourselves, which of these have the most dark corners with spider webs in, ter- in terms of like this data quality mismatch? Because if oh, yeah. one has four times more data quality mismatch potential issues than another, maybe we want to all things considered lean in the direction of the one that's a little simpler. I mean, is this is there a rule of thumb we can use for 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 active actionable kind of Absolutely. insights here? Look, you, you've got to look at what you've got to look at. The, you, what I would say is that people understaff. The, the, they understaff the projects in a way and they don't realize how much effort is being put into the data. And then they mistake the idea that you're cleaning the data. You're not really cleaning the data. You're, you're building models and you're trying to figure out what's good enough for the model and what isn't. And yeah. the only way you can figure that out is by building a model. You don't do it by cleaning the data. You have to build model. You have to build the model, try to use the data and then figure out, okay, this part I can use. This part has to be somehow fixed. Got that's it. how you do it, and and I think that's where there's a disconnect because people try to think, oh, I'll I'll hire people to clean the data, and then we'll just hand it off to the data scientist. Well, that's I've never seen that work. Yeah. Uh, that does. I, yep. Yeah. Got to got to stay close to the data, and I think that one of the one of the elements to achieving ROI is actually making sure that. Um, uh, making sure that we're buckling up for the right kind of battle that we're going to be facing. And when it comes to data, uh, we've done a great job today, Charles, of kind of highlighting what some of those battles are. So for those of you who are tuned in, I hope that this one was insightful. Charles, it's always a blast whenever I'm chatting with you. So I super appreciate you being back on the show. Thank you so much for being here, man. Hey, thank you, Daniel. Thank you. So that's all for this episode. I hope that you found this one helpful. Uh, Charles apparently had talked about this idea of data quality mismatch in a previous keynote, but had never gone into that kind of detail. I was really glad to have him do it on this show. I think that this is an insight that hopefully essentially anybody who's tuned in can use and apply to assessing their own data assets and figuring out where likely am I going to get value out of this data? What's it going to be good for? What's it not going to be good for? A great rule of thumb that does not involve necessarily a technical perspective, but certainly helps get to business value. So grateful to Charles for being here. Grateful to you as a listener. We are almost done with this series. Tomorrow, we're going to get some more startup perspective on ROI. We're going to come full circle from giant organizations like Intel and Oracle, all the way down to smaller companies who work with big organizations and give you a final dose of actionable insights on how to ensure AI projects have a higher ROI. I should mention as we wrap this one up, some folks have already emailed in about it. And I know some of you who are listening in are already new members. When I say new members, I mean new members of Emerge Plus. We are currently giving away a copy of our AI ROI cheat sheet, which includes four frameworks for assessing the strategic and measurable value of AI projects. These are some of our best of insights. This is a report that sells for nearly $300 on our report section. We are including it free for anybody who decides to become an Emerge Plus member. For those of you who are not already familiar, you can go to emerj.com slash R7. This page will be open until next Monday, so I would recommend checking it out this week. emerj.com slash R7. That's R like ROI and then just the number seven. And you can learn more about getting this free report along with Emerge Plus. Emerge Plus is our library of AI use cases, white papers, and frameworks for best practices. If you want to put what you're listening to in this series in action, Plus is a great way to get it done. Uh, And so I'd recommend checking out that page. Again, it's emerj.com slash R7. That's all for this episode. Looking forward to our final episode coming up tomorrow, which is Friday. I look forward to having you with us.